Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Galatians chapter 2, and at the end I was in verse 6 where it says, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man, for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. And I explained that if you continue down to verse 9, it says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars... He's talking about the apostles in Jerusalem. He's talking about the elders there. And he's explaining that these guys who seem to be something, they're not. And this is the reality today, just as much as it was back then. There are so many people who seem to be something. They have so many people who listen to what they have to say. They have great cathedrals, wonderful buildings, They're on radio. They're on television. And listen, there's obviously nothing wrong with these things. It's just that there is an appearance that people strive for in many cases so that they can seem to be something. But even though they seem to be something, doesn't mean they're anything. Continuing in verse 7, this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised." They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, first of all, in verse 7, Paul declares that the gospel was given to the Apostle Paul to take to the Gentiles and that he was effective in presenting the gospel to the Gentiles. It was committed to him to present to the uncircumcised in the same way or in a similar way as it was given to Peter to present to the circumcised. Now, of course, Peter went to the circumcised. In Acts chapter 10, we have the description of Peter going to the home of Cornelius. He went to the uncircumcised. He spoke with the Gentiles. He is the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. So, does this mean that Peter was only supposed to go and talk to the Jews? How about now? Maybe maybe now, at the time when Paul was writing this, Peter is only supposed to go and talk to the Jews. He's not supposed to go and talk to the Gentiles because God has not committed the gospel to him in that way. I don't believe that that is what he is saying any more than he is saying that he is not going to take the gospel to the Jews, but only to the Gentiles, the Apostle Paul, that is. I don't believe that that's what he's communicating. I don't believe that at all. 
I believe that what he is saying in the context of committed to or that the gospel has been given to them to give to certain groups is that the work that God has given to Peter, the work that God has given to Paul is predominantly Peter to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles, that predominantly the works that he has prepared in advance give the impression, give the appearance that he has directed them to speak to these individual groups in the way that they are. But that doesn't mean that they cannot speak to the others, as I just explained. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, went to the Gentile. There are many examples in the scriptures where Paul goes to the Jews. He goes to the Jews in the Gentile world every time he went to a community, or just about every time. The first place he went to was the synagogue. What do you suppose he was doing there? He was there to tell them about the gospel. And so again, in verse 9, it says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, from Paul's point of view, we know that he went to the circumcised and to the uncircumcised, and that he did not discriminate between the Jew or the Gentile. We know that. We have plenty of evidence to show that before he went to meet with them and definitely after he met with them. For example, when Titus went with the Apostle Paul, Titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised, but after that, what happened? Paul met Timothy and he circumcised Timothy after all that he went through in Acts chapter 15 at the council in Jerusalem. Then he circumcises somebody. Can you imagine that? I did a verse by verse study on the book of Acts where I talk about this at length. He circumcised Timothy so that he could bring Timothy with him to go talk to the Jews about Jesus. That's why he did that. Otherwise, they would not have allowed Timothy to enter into their environment, enter into their synagogue in the same way that Titus was allowed to enter within the congregation in Jerusalem in order to bring Timothy into a Jewish environment with people who did not believe in Jesus. He would have to be circumcised, otherwise he'd have to wait outside or wait somewhere else. He wouldn't be able to participate with the Apostle Paul in the same way. And so Paul would use circumcision in circumstances that would perpetuate the gospel, by all means. But my point is to say that he still went to the Jews. How can he go to the Jews if the gospel was committed to him to present to the Gentiles? How could he do that? Because that was the position of the church in Jerusalem that was not his position. They believed that the gospel was committed to him by God to the Gentiles and to the Gentiles only. They believed that the gospel was committed to Peter to send him to the Jews. And from what I can tell at this point, the Jews only, because as far as I can tell, he wasn't actively involved in going to talk with the Gentiles, not like I personally would have expected after his experience with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. That was their position. So, in verse 9, that James, Cephas, and John gave them the right hand of fellowship that, as it is written, we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. That was what their position was, but it wasn't what Paul's position was. They took the position 
They had the attitude, James, Cephas, John, the elders in Jerusalem, the apostles in Jerusalem, those who were of reputation in the church in Jerusalem took the position that Paul, Barnabas, you can be our brother. We'll give you the right hand of fellowship. But we want you to understand that we expect you to go to the Gentiles. Leave the Jews to us. Don't take this gospel that you teach among the Gentiles and bring it to the Jews. Don't do that. That was their position. And why would I say such a thing? Because what happens when Paul comes back to Jerusalem the next time? What happens? He is confronted with this. James confronts him with this, saying that you're telling Jews about this gospel that you're supposed to just take to the Gentiles. That was what Paul was confronted with when he came back. So this was their position, but it doesn't mean that this is what Paul's position was. To him, it didn't matter if a person was a Jew or a Gentile. He would still bring the gospel to everyone. In verse 10, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Can you imagine that? I can imagine that. I can just imagine Paul being there and the apostles looking at him saying something that sounds like this. All right, Paul, you're not going to live according to the law. And you're not going to tell these Gentiles to live according to the law. That's fine. But would you please at least remember the poor? Would you at least do that, please? I can just imagine this kind of an attitude. Not necessarily pleading, just simply asking him to please remember the poor. Why would they say something like that? I believe that they would say something like this and that he would record that they would say something like this, just to show how immature they were in their faith. Because if you knew the power of the grace of God, the mercy of God, if you knew the power of the gospel, the true gospel, that which Paul was sharing with the Gentiles, if you knew what that was about, then you would not dare say something like, remember the poor to the Apostle Paul. You would never even consider saying something as ridiculous as that. It would be so, so disgusting to say something like that because it would just go to show that you know nothing about the power of the Holy Spirit in dwelling within an individual. That of course you're going to remember the poor even more so than you would have if you were under the law. And so only an immature believer would suggest something like that. And that's okay. I mean, I don't want to condemn that. I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that this is written here, in my opinion, so that Paul can show just how immature these people were, that they would go so far as to suggest that he would not remember the poor unless they told him to remember the poor. I mean, who do these people think they are? Who are these people? Don't these people know anything about the living God? Don't they believe in the Holy Spirit? Don't they believe in the personal interactive relationship that we can have with him? Don't they believe that he will direct us and guide us and lead us and that He will prepare works for us to walk in, and these are works that we may very well walk in. 
that reflects remembrance of the poor, that helps people who are in need? What about them? What about the contributions that he brought them, knowing that they were having some problems, that they were having some trouble, that they were experiencing some difficulties in acquiring the funds that they needed in order to do what they were trying to do? Didn't they recognize that? If there was any true recognition of that, they would at least acknowledge that he would remember those who were in greater need than they were. But no, I don't think so. I think that they really did mean it when they said, Paul, we believe that we've got to tell you to remember the poor, because if if we don't, because you don't follow the commandments that were given through Moses, then then you're not going to. And that just simply reflects an immature believer. That is the reflection of an immature believer, somebody who does not know that the Holy Spirit will do a work in a person's life, a work in a person's heart, and will direct people to help people in need. I mean, that to me just goes to show just how empty these people really were to this extent. Now, I believe that the Lord worked with them, and I expect to see them in heaven, and I do appreciate all that they did. Don't get me wrong. I am saying this in the tone and in the attitude that I believe Paul is expressing. That's what I am doing. That this is what I see in his heart as he's writing this letter. That these guys added nothing to his faith, not even this. Not even, oh, remember the poor, you know, we got to add that to your faith. No, not even that. That's what I see. So when he said he was also eager to do, I believe it's his way of saying, I didn't need them to tell me that. I am already eager to do that. I don't need some apostle to tell me to remember the poor. I have the living God. But that's fine. I understand. I will respect that. I will be polite. I don't have a problem with being polite. Now, what happens next? In verse 11, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, he said, Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now, does this sound like they had some previous agreement that was well understood between the two parties? I mean, does this, does this sound like they had it all together? Absolutely not, because shortly after all of this, Peter left Jerusalem. He left the church. He left their boundaries, their territory, their sanctuary, and he entered Paul's space. He entered Paul's sanctuary. He entered Paul's congregation. Now, Paul can be very respectful and very polite in their environment, in their congregation. And when I have entered into other people's space, I have done the same. Even when I have taught in other people's space, I always respected their boundaries and I never taught beyond what I believe they would feel would be acceptable. I always stayed within the boundaries that were given to me, and I never stepped out of them. I came pretty close on occasion, and I would push the limits sometimes. But I know what it is to be respectful of a congregation, respectful of a leader, a brother even. I understand that. But when they come into my congregation, I've got some things to say. 
I've got a lot to say, and I will get in people's faces. I've done that on a number of occasions, right in front of everybody to include their witnesses that they bring in order to try to defend them or to try to put me down in some way to say, now you're going to have to be polite and respectful because I've got this witness here who's going who's gonna to say that you don't care what other people might say that might disagree with you and you're not willing to consider other options or criticisms or anything like that. And I just get right into people's faces. I do. I say, listen to me. I have no reason to listen to you. I will not listen to you. Get out of here. I have nothing to do with you and you have nothing to do with me. You have no idea who I am, what I believe or why. I never want to see you again. I have no problem with saying that to people. I've done that on a number of occasions. But if I go into their church or if I meet them on the street, on the sidewalk, out in front of wherever it is I'm speaking, I'm not going to talk to them that way. I understand that. I have no problem being respectful to individuals, but if you're going to come into my congregation, I expect some respect from you as well. And if you want to disagree with me, there is a way to do it. Just like the Apostle Paul did. He disagreed with people, and there was a way to do it. But when they came into his space, into his work, to disrupt what God gave him to do, well, he got right up into Peter's face. Right up into his face. Now, imagine the Apostle Peter. This is the guy who was with Jesus All of those years, he would pick up a sword or a knife and he would go and attack the Roman army on behalf of the Lord Jesus. This man was a man of God, recognized by God. And then you've got the Apostle Paul who just gets right up in his face, gets up in his face. And he says, you are to be blamed again in verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him. To his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward, About the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Who do you think you are? Right in front of everybody. Who do you think you are? What is this? Why are you compelling people around here to be like a Jew? When you weren't just a few minutes ago, and everybody knows it, and everybody can see it, The only one who doesn't seem to be paying attention to this is you. And maybe you too, Barnabas, and the rest of you people over there. You people have got to be true to the truth. Stand firm with your convictions and do not be afraid of anyone who comes pointing their finger in your face saying that you are disobedient to God because you don't eat in the way that you're supposed to. I mean, what kind of message is that? What kind of a message is that? That people come in and say, listen, you folks, you guys have got to understand that you've got to live in observance of the dietary laws. That's what you need to be doing. And Peter, you know better. You of all people, you know better. And Barnabas, I remember you. Get on over here. You guys are afraid of these people. Why? Because they come from Jerusalem? They come from James? These people who seem to be something? Seem to be, but they don't... They don't impress me. They don't add anything to my faith. Who do these people think they are? Who do you think you are? There is a time to be forward like that. And there is a time not to. It's okay to stand firm on the truth. 
And it is okay not to do it in that way at certain times. Be sensitive and allow the Lord to speak to you concerning when and how, with whom, under what circumstances. And I believe that he will give you wisdom concerning these matters. Because there can be great value in taking a position like Paul did that he describes right here. There can be great value in doing that. But if he did this in the congregation in Jerusalem, there would be no value at all. They would just simply tell him to go, not come back, and that would be the end of it. What profit would that really have? What profit would it have for him to just get in there and get up in front of everybody's faces and say, you're a liar? Of what value would that be? Would he be able to leave there with the letter that he went there to get? You think they would have given him the letter that they gave him if he took this kind of an attitude into their congregation? Absolutely not. I I don't think so. But out of that congregation, in this place, in this setting, in this environment, he can do so. He has the freedom, the right, the liberty, and the authority. And it is appropriate in order to defend those Gentiles who do not want to become like a Jew, but instead want to be a Christian, want to be a child of God. The Jew and the Gentile both need to become a new creation so that they might become the one new person, the new man in Christ Jesus. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to put aside things like the dietary laws in order to experience that in the way that our God defined. Now, of course, I have a lot to say about the dietary laws. I did almost a full hour on the dietary laws. You can listen to those programs on my website archive. Do that. They are very important. The dietary laws have a very important place and role in the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And if you do not understand the purpose for the dietary laws and how our God used them and why, if you don't understand that, you are missing something. You are missing something about not only the Old Covenant, but also the New. And so please do take the time to listen to those programs with regards to the dietary laws. They're very, very important. But that's not what this is about. This is about, are we really going to live according to what we believe, or are we not going to live according to what we believe? Are we going to live in a different way? You know, to see Barnabas turn aside like this, to see Barnabas turn away and be carried away with this hypocrisy like Peter was? What does this say about Barnabas? I mean, this is a very interesting thing to recognize. Barnabas spent a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. They went on a missionary journey together. They did a lot of ministry together. They went together to Jerusalem to defend the Gentiles, to defend the gospel. And then this happens. What does this say about Barnabas? Well, it says a lot. You know, in the study that I did on the book of Acts, I explained that shortly after this, Barnabas and Paul separated, and from what I can tell, they never really did reunite. That does say something about Barnabas, that he did not have the same conviction and the same beliefs that the Apostle Paul did. Or maybe he had the same beliefs, but not quite the same conviction. That could very well be the case. And, you know, it's very difficult sometimes to to have friends, to have brethren, to be a part of other people's lives and to have them be a part of your life. It's very difficult sometimes when you eventually find out years later that 
they did not really have the kind of faith that you thought they had. They didn't really have the conviction that you really believed that they had. They don't have the kind of conviction that perhaps they thought they had. Later on, you discover this, and in many ways, it can be very disappointing. In some ways, you might even feel as though you've been deceived and lied to. And it's very sad. And sometimes when I look back and I make contact with people who I have known in the past and I speak with them, they've had some time to kind of recover from the apparent conviction that they had once with me. They have had time to recover from that and they feel a little bit more freedom to express themselves as individuals who don't necessarily have the kind of conviction that I thought that they did, that they really wanted to have. And it's very unfortunate Sometimes it can be very depressing, and I often ask questions and probe and try to figure out what what is it that they believe that is keeping them from really growing in their faith, and quite often it really is just something simple. It's a simple lie that they have embraced or that they believe, and it's just simply created a barrier of some kind, more like a barricade that keeps them from really growing and maturing in the way that they could, but they just simply can't get past this one simple thing. I don't know what it was with Barnabas. Maybe it was the dietary laws. I don't know. We don't know. We don't have enough information to know. But what I do know is that this is an opportunity for us to see that even though people lived and worked with the Apostle Paul in the ministry, it didn't mean that they had the same conviction that he had and that there were many times that Paul found himself alone when I don't think he even expected to find himself in that kind of a situation, in that kind of a circumstance where he would be alone for the most part. He did have other people around him, other brethren around him that I believe he could appreciate. But how many did he really have around him who had the conviction and the maturity that he had? That is a very interesting question that I would like to ask him when I see him. Because sometimes I struggle with this question myself. I know many people, and I have many people in my life, and I know they have the maturity that they present. I have great confidence in that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that I have experienced in the past people who did not, and I know that I will experience people in the future who do not. And I'm okay with that. I'll take whoever I can get. And I believe that Paul would take whoever he could get. But sometimes you can feel very alone when you have the kind of conviction that he expresses here, the kind of conviction that would give him the liberty and the freedom to go right up into Peter's face and confront him right there in front of everybody. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net